I heard once God described in this way that, that oftentimes we, uh, you, know, you hear about the fear of the Lord, and, <laughs> and I heard a preacher once say, imagine standing in front of like the Grand Coulee Dam, and all of a sudden its waters just not just break over the top, but the whole thing just bursts and it just consumes you. And, he's, and, and imagine the fear of the Lord being that overwhelming, all-encompassing, mighty power of God, and yet, and yet that, the power of that water doesn't even compare to the might of Yahweh. Um, and, so, and so as we oftentimes uh, hear about, maybe we don't speak about, but we hear about, we receive a God that's kind of comfortable to us, like, oh, I, I could do these things, when we talk about the Holy Spirit and the power of God, it's not talking about something like, like Nate was saying earlier that we can, we can tame or is predictable or, or even that we're like, it's only like that water. Maybe I have a canoe or something, you know? Like, no, there's nothing that you have <laughs> going for you when you confront the power of God. You just, we, we can't stand against that. So, um, so I pray that, that by God's grace, he will actually consume us in that way that we will, we will become a people that are just uh, bulldozed over by God himself. So pray with me just again as I pray for the sermon, and then we will, we will get into it. God, I ask you that, that you will speak, you will show yourself as we read the scripture and we remember who you are, that you have shown yourself declared yourself throughout time. God, and that reality will just impress itself so strongly upon our hearts that we can say with whole confidence today, I, I believe. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> okay, imagine something with me. Imagine that today, during the Super Bowl, In the middle of one of the plays, a large and ominous cloud descends on the stadium. Prior to the cloud descending, the skies have been perfectly clear. At first sight of the cloud, the the large mass of spectators who have previously been watching the game start whispering to one another. When 70,000 people are all worried and whispering at the same time, that's no small noise. It's a loud and confusing sound. But all of a sudden, the commotion of unanswered questions stops. There is a hush. No one is speaking anymore. All attention is absorbed by the cloud, which has now descended all the way. The presence of the cloud is heavy, and every person has an intense feeling of both amazement and absolute terror. The game is no longer being played. The players all stand on the field looking up, bewildered, as if they somehow forgot what they were doing. No one notices they have stopped. Despite the forceful sensation that has come over the crowd, there seems to be no interest in leaving. It's not obvious whether no one wants to leave or if they cannot leave. There is nothing visibly constraining them, but they all appear to be paralyzed. All is transfixed by something vast and unexplainable. Something has showed up, and it cannot be immediately identified but it is so obviously important that nothing else matters. Imagine that. Today, 
when over 100 million people are watching this game, when thousands descend upon a stadium, imagine that. A cloud. God showed up. And everything just stopped. And we realized that this game really wasn't that important. That when, when God arrives, it's not even, even that we can distinguish the importance in Him other than knowing that all of a the sudden, there is something so grand and so spectacular that everything else pales in comparison to that. How would we respond to that? If you are familiar with the Bible, that is not a strange story. But a question that comes to mind is, why would that be so unexpected to us? Why, if we've read the Bible, and especially if you come and you say, I believe, why would seeing God in His glory and His presence be something that shocked you? Well, we're going to look at really briefly uh, two instances in the Old Testament where where God shows up in this fashion on a great multitude of people, and there's, there's two distinct responses to it. Um, one, you'll see, is terror. And the other, you'll find, is worship. And, and what we're going to look at is, is what, what distinguishes that, what makes one group of people terrified at the presence of God and what makes another group of people amazed and and rejoice at the presence of God. So, if you have your Bibles with me, turn to Exodus 20. And what we find here in Exodus 20 is God has just, with incredible strength, showed his dominance over all, all the powers, all the gods of Egypt, and he's brought 300 people out of Egypt, his people, Israel. He's taken them through a sea that was parted. That's some of what Daryl was reading earlier. And and now he's brought them to a mountain, Mount Horeb. And and he's given them the Ten Commandments. And then you find in chapter 20, verse 18, this is what they experience. Exodus 20, 18. It says, When the people saw the thunder... And the lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke. They trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. But the people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. So God shows up and he gives them ten commands. Fear fear God above all their gods. Don't commit adultery, don't murder on your parents. These commands that we're familiar with. And, And the response of the people is they receive the holy law of God and they see him descend on the mountain is is that they they look at Moses and they they literally go, okay, we don't really want to be around him, so so you go. And Moses becomes this liaison between the people and God, and they are afraid. And the interesting thing is Moses says, don't be afraid, God's testing you. But the thing is, 
they have been tested and found wanting. Okay? Because constantly, throughout their time, even, even in the short amount of time that they've had between Egypt, where they saw God's power unleashed, between that and then getting freaked out at the Red Sea, seeing God's power unleashed again at the Red Sea, and then they, they come into the desert, and immediately, if you look at chapter 16, we, we read this at our community group on, on Wednesday night, they're thirsty and they're hungry, and they say, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, there we sat around pots of meat and ate food, all that we wanted, and you have brought us out into the desert to starve us to death, right? <laughs> They've seen God in his power rescue them from Egypt, rescue them from the Red Sea, right? All these things, and then what happens? They're like, oh, I see why you brought us here. You want to kill us. <laughs> and Moses is like, no, we could have killed you already. Right? That would have been easy in the Red Sea. It would have been, you wouldn't even have to have a burial. It would just, right? That would have been it. <laughs> we don't want to, you know. And so, so they've been tested and they've been found wanting. And so when they see God, when the, when the cloud has come down, their response is terror. Because they didn't expect God. They didn't even really want God to show up. Right? They sure they liked it when they were rescued. But then at every turn, every opportunity they got, they would they would look back at themselves and they would say, Well, currently I'm not comfortable. And they would turn again and again and again on God. Turn with me to 2 Chronicles. This is the the second group of people who experienced the presence of God in a cloud, like the story we told earlier of this cloud coming down in the Super Bowl, right? The presence of God. In 2 Chronicles, what you have is Solomon has just, with the help of a lot of people, (laughs) built a temple to honor God. And, and in chapter 5, starting in verse 2, we're going to read all the way to the end and just get a sense of what's going on here. The, the presence of God in the cloud hasn't even showed up yet, okay? But, but this is where we're at. Second Chronicles 5, 2. Then Solomon summoned to Jerusalem the elders of Israel, all the tribes and chiefs of the Israelite families, to bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from Zion, the city of David. And all the men of Israel came together to the king at the time of the festival in the seventh month. When all the elders of Israel had arrived, the Levites took up the ark, and they brought up the ark in the tent of meeting and all the sacred furnishings in it. The priests who were Levites carried them up. And King Solomon, the entire assembly of Israel that had gathered about him, were before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and cattle that they could not be recorded or counted." The priests then brought the Ark of the Lord's Covenant to its place in the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place, beneath the wings of the cherubim. The cherubim spread their wings over the place of the Ark and covered the Ark and its carrying poles. These poles were so long that their ends extended from the Ark, could be seen from in front of the inner sanctuary, but not from the outside the holy place. And they are still there today. There was nothing in the ark except the two tablets that Moses had placed in it at Horeb, right, what we just read about, 
where the Lord had Lord made a covenant with the Israelites after they came out of Egypt. The priests then withdrew from the holy place. All the priests who were there had consecrated themselves regardless of their divisions. All the Levites who were musicians, Asaph, Heman, Judatham, and their sons and relatives stood on the east side of the altar, dressed in fine linen and playing cymbals, harps, and lyres. They were accompanied by 120 priests sounding trumpets. The trumpeters and singers joined in unison as with one voice to give praise and thanks to the Lord. Accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments, they raised their voice in praise to the Lord and sang, He is good. His love endures forever. Then the temple of the Lord was filled with a cloud, and the priests could not perform their services because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Amen. <clears throat> so what's the difference here? It's fairly stark, right? The contrast between these two experiences where, where the power of God descends, and with one there's, there's terror, but, but we, with the other there's, there's a sense of expectation. Maybe they don't know exactly how God's going to show up, but they're honoring him in such a way that they expect him to show up. So this is how it begins. It begins by active worship. And, and if you read this and you're familiar with, with the way as Israel came out of Egypt and, and God gave instructions for worship. And he said, this is how you should worship me. If you read this, it is full, like line by line, like, oh, they did what God commanded. They did what God commanded. Oh, they look, they did what God commanded. Oh, here, again, they're honoring God by doing what he commands, right? <laughs> start contrast, start opposite. I mean, you have all the people coming out, carried by the Levites. It was supposed to be carried by the Levites, right? Innumerable sheep and cattle. They couldn't even count them. They were just worshiping. By sacrificing to God the sacrifices that he required of them. And so there's this, this absolute overflow of the people praising God and giving thanks to him. Anticipating God. And this is the kind of the cool part. right? They sang and they played music. And what's, what's cool for this, we'll just kind of compare it to now, is oftentimes when we come on Sunday mornings and we're like, Oh, we're, we're having our singing time. Right. Well, that's, that's this incredible pattern that we, we get from, from when God's instructing us in how we worship. And the, the thing that we should, we should remember and honor is, is even as we worship God now, there's a way to honor Him in worship. It's not just, you hear oftentimes, and it's, it's true, let me say that before I, Explain it more. You hear often, come as you are. True. Come as you are. But unless you're learning to honor God, your coming's not going to make a lot of difference. Okay? So you can come as you are. God wants you to come and hear his word preached, and he wants you to, to hear it in a way that you understand. But if you come, and every week you're like, well, show me something, Right? Or you, you come in such a way that dishonors. You come, the Bible talks about if you come and if you have something against a brother or sister or a friend, right? If you're harboring anger in your heart, and we'll talk more about this later. But, but don't just 
come as you are and stay as you are, right? (laughs) They're anticipating God by seeing what he commands, seeing what God loves, and they are, are honoring him in that way. Do you come on a Sunday morning going, I desire in my heart to honor God? Or do you come going, okay, I'm just going to sit here till I'm moved? (laughs) Okay? Because oftentimes we can come and we sit there and we're like, Spirit hasn't shown up in my heart yet. (laughs) Well, tell you what, you probably haven't even shown up yet, you know? So, so as... As, as they come, they're, they're walking to the temple already pouring out adoration on God, singing this song, He is good and His love endures forever. Over and over again. 120 trumpets, cymbals, singers, He is good, He is good and His love endures forever, right? And we join in this song, right? As we sing songs like How He Loves, right? And we're in that chorus and we're like, Yes, He loves us. Oh, how He loves us. And we're joining in this, right? The anticipation of of God. And so so God shows up. And He says He shows up in such a way that all the things they're doing to honor Him, they can't even really do because He just kind of pushes them out (laughs) of the temple. And and says they can't even... Because because the heart of this, all the heart of temple worship is, is obedience, we learn that throughout all of Scripture, right? To obey is better than sacrifice. And so they go and they're like, sorry, I can't sacrifice any more sheep because God showed up and, and I just can't see what I'm doing. And, and so when God comes, when God comes, we realize it's all just about obeying and it's about being in that relationship with Him. As we, as we honor Him, He comes and He honors us with His presence. And... And there's an incredible sense of sacredness in that. And that's what I hope that we, we have as a church. We have a sense of sacredness when we come and we speak about God. There's a response then, and this is important, just as much as the anticipation is important, the response is equally as important. And what you find here in the book of Second Chronicles is <clears throat> after the cloud descends, you have two things key. And, and the first is remembering, and the second is prayer, remembering in prayer. And I want you guys to see these as, as distinct because, because they both function in, in the way we, we uh, act in our relationship with God. They, um, they help us tremendously. And the first in remembering, it says Solomon turns and he blesses the people. But what you see in Solomon blessing the people isn't what you'd exp- uh, expect in a blessing. What you'd expect in a blessing oftentimes is um, make them safe, you know, keep them healthy, make them prosper. But the, the blessing isn't that. His blessing for the people is blessing them by reminding them of what God has done. He's going, his blessing is God already has done so much for you. And if you read, starting in verse 4 of chapter 6 in Second Chronicles, and move all the way to, to the end of verse 11, This is what it looks like. He says, Praise be to God who has fulfilled what he has promised with his mouth. It says, Since you brought, already brought my people out of Egypt, I have not chosen a city and a tribe. So he's going, So you already have done this. You've already brought them. You already, verse 6, have chosen 
my father David had in his heart to do. Right? All these things are in past tense. This, the whole blessing, so it's this interesting, the blessing isn't going, well, I, I hope in the future you are well. <laughs> and so, so even when we preach on Sunday mornings, the blessing we give you guys isn't, isn't going purely future tense, right? But the blessing we can give you is going, look at what God has done and trying to remind you, conjure in your minds this powerful remembrance of a God who's been so faithful. Right? Look what God has done over and over and over again. And have you forgot? Don't forget. So, presence of God comes. They, they together as a people remember. And I want you guys to like sharpen your thinking right now. right? And go, how rarely do we purposefully go... Even in our prayers at the end of the day, look through the day and go, thank you, thank you, thank you. Right? It's usually like, well, these other things could have improved and maybe tomorrow will be better. Right? It's like this purposeful. We have been so richly blessed by the presence of God. And that's what they do. And then they go into a time of prayer. And that prayer is is so interesting because it, it works out. Solomon's working out with these people. As they see God's faithfulness, he's praying that that as the people themselves are unfaithful, they see the presence of God, they they know he's been faithful, and and their prayer is, God, we know that we're going to be unfaithful. So I ask, I ask that when we do that, that you will teach us when we forget your commandments, may you remind us of your commandments. When we, when we turn our hearts against you and we worship false gods, and, and because of your justice, what you do is you drive us into exile, you bring famine, you bring plague. Whatever happens, I, I ask that when our hearts are stirred and we love you, when we're reminded of you, and we, we come to you and we ask for forgiveness, that you will be faithful and you will forgive so what's the power of remembering? The power of remembering is remembering that the character of God is faithful. This power of, of prayers they go into is saying, but we aren't going to be faithful. And, and I ask that when we aren't faithful, that you'll, you'll remind our hearts of who you are, that when we pray and ask for forgiveness, that you'll restore us to yourself. And so then they keep celebrating. What we find is God responds to Solomon in in chapter 7. And and before we move on from this, I want want to kind of just sit here with you guys for a second. 2 Chronicles 7, starting in verse 11, said, When Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord in the royal palace and had succeeded in carrying out all he had in mind to do in the temple of the Lord and in his own palace, the Lord appeared to him at night and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifice. And I want you to get the sobering and hopeful nature of both of this. It says, When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, 
or command locusts to devour the land, or send a plague among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. And I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. So the absolutely powerful movement of this is God goes, when, you diso- when there's disobedience, when there is sin, I will act in justice. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send reminders to you of this. And, and this, is, this is so incredible because, because often what we want is, is we want a God who forgets the issues. And we want him to forget the issues until maybe by ourselves we can figure out the issues. Right? And, and let me tell you, we have... We, have, we are a people and we are a nation, a world full of these issues. Full of anger and envy and malice and injustice towards the poor. Right? We are a people who have acted in that way and we are not, contrary to some people's opinion, we are not a Christian nation. Right? We, we aren't. Why? Because, because the issues are here, and they are present not just in the hearts of those outside of this church, but they are, they are issues present in our hearts, too. And that's a reality, and God, God isn't just jumping to, I'm just going to heal you. God goes, when you act in injustice and anger and bitterness, and you, and you destroy the things that I've created to be good, when you do those things, he goes, there will be just recompense. But if my people who are called by my name confess and they repent and they, and they return to me, then I will be faithful and I will heal their land. And so what it isn't is it isn't forgetting the issues. And, and, and that, these are the hard things to talk about. Honestly, the first thing that came to mind as I, as I thought about this, this for our nation, and you hear about this, is the issue of abortion, right? It's easy just not to think about those, not even to talk about it, right? It's easy to go to, right, you drive on the road, and I, I hear all the time people are being like, well, why are those people hanging, holding those signs? They're so gross. I'm like, that, that is gross. Is, should our response be like, well, let's just forget that issue? No, we as a nation have blood on our hands. And, and, and what God is saying is he goes, and there will be justice. What will the justice of God look for our nation? What will it look like? But if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and will seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. And that is our hope. Our hope isn't that God will forget the issues but that, that God will still hear us when we pray. Amen? So, so what do we do with this? 
but we call on the name of the Lord. And, and I wanted to read you guys something from Acts, because I think <laughs> we always find ways to kind of like go around and be like, well, uh, and... <laughs> And I wanted to read you guys in Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit comes and he's poured out among the people, and what happens? <laughs> and, and what happens, because you can't just be like, well, that's just temple worship, and back then. And, <laughs> and to show, to explain what's happening when the Holy Spirit comes upon his people in the New Covenant. It says, in the last days God will pour out, speaking from the prophet Joel, in the last days God will pour out his Spirit on all the people. And he says, your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Even my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. One who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. (laughs) Right? And he says, men of Israel, listen to me. He says, Jesus of Nazareth came. Jesus came and he showed up. And he showed us a way back to the Father. And so, so what do we respond? How do we respond to this? <clears throat> That's a great question. I want to share with you guys a verse that that I've uh, read this week, and I still don't really know what to do with. And so we're going to kind of be exploring this, I think, in the next couple weeks together. Um, in, in Luke 17, it was actually a verse I discovered because I was reading in the wrong place. <laughs> right? <laughs> I was supposed to be in Matthew with our reading plan. Got distracted. And... And so I was reading through Luke 17. And the Pharisees, as they usually do, they come up and they're challenging Jesus. Right? It says, Once having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation. Nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. I tell you, I've read this verse a lot of times this week, prayed over it, meditated over it, and I, and I don't know what to do with it. And this is wise, because it's like that treasure in Matthew 13, 44, that it says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, and where someone finds it, it's so good that they sell everything they have just to get that. And as I read this, I was like, this is a treasure. <laughs> The kingdom of God isn't, doesn't come from your observation. It's not. What the Pharisees were looking for is for a prophet to come and be like, the throne of the Messiah will be built in. Or the throne room of the Messiah is. And, and Jesus said, it, it, that's not the way it's going to work. The kingdom of heaven is within you. And, and what does this look like? Imagine an empire greater than any empire you've ever seen. We've known of Napoleon and the empire he created, right? Or Charlemagne or Julius Caesar. We know the United States and how powerful we think we are. 
These kingdoms, these empires don't compare to the kingdom of God. And, and the kingdom of God is where? It's, it's within you, right? Imagine this, the structure of the most powerful kingdom, the politics of that kingdom, the economy of that kingdom. And that kingdom isn't, isn't something where you go, oh, look over here, Jesus just built a really nice castle. No, Jesus has come and the possibility that he's presenting to the Pharisees is that he wants to create his throne room in your heart. And so the cloud that descended in Exodus and then came again on Solomon's temple, it goes, that cloud, I want to descend upon you. And that's what you get in Acts 2 when the Holy Spirit just unleashes on his church that that God is making in his people a temple. But the question is, as we, as we looked at Exodus and we looked at 2 Chronicles, will, are you expectant or are you going to be terrified when God comes in that unexpected, overly powerful way that you're not comfortable with? And are we going to go, no, Moses, you go for it. I'll let you take this one, right? I'll let, the, I'll let the pastor that I listen to go for it. Or I'll, I'll let that person, you know. No, the possibility here that God is offering is the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God can be within you. It can descend upon you. And we can be a people that anticipate it and expect it. Amen? So, so how do we do this? Well, we as a church, this is how we're going to do this together. This is how we're going to anticipate it. By worship, by remembrance, and by prayer. Right? This is, this is what the people in, in Solomon's day did, and this is how we also are going to do it. Um, worship. What does that look like for us to be a people that really worship together? Right? As you saw in Solomon's day, it wasn't like, oh, here's this amount of time. It was like they couldn't even count the amount of sacrifices they were giving, right? It was innumerable. When they, when they remembered God, it was just publicly declaring, this is who our God is. When they, when they prayed, it was dedicated time. And so this is what, I, what we're going to do as a church to help us start walking in this, okay? Track with me here. Uh, there's going to be a couple times in the upcoming weeks. Um, February 22nd will be the first one. And we've tentatively said this to my roommates, and now that I'm saying it from the pulpit, this is exactly what we're going to do. <laughs> February 22nd at, at our house, we're just having a night of worship. And I know that sounds very place and time, but the fact is, what does it look like to just start? And just like worship together. What does that look like? To just start singing, right? We don't have 120 trumpets, but we will make do. Uh, worship God together. When we, when we, you know, when I stop preaching and, and we start singing again, are we a people that worship together? Anticipate his presence. And so a couple times where we can just gather and sing. And, and maybe you can, you can even incorporate this um, 
by yourself, gather people? What does it look like to be people that worship together? So we're going to offer, as a church, some opportunities for you guys to do that. Like I said, February 22nd at my house, we're going to do that. Um, we're going to have some other times we'll announce along the way. Um, prayer, or sorry, remembrance first. So remembrance, what my challenge is for you for remembrance is that every single day, and, and we'll just set a goal because I know it helps have a start and end. From, from now as we go through the sermon series on the Holy Spirit, what I'm going to challenge you to do is to every day remind somebody of the faithfulness of God. That can be the same person every day. It can be different people every day. But purposefully, through the next weeks that we go through the sermon series, every single day, purposefully remind somebody of the faithfulness of God. Okay? Text them, call them, write them love notes. Right? Remind them that who God is. This is what he's done for us. Remember, our God is great. Our God is mighty. God is mighty to save. Let, let that be the content of your conversation when you remind that person. So, worshiping together, reminding each other. And then, and then prayer. And this, this challenge is twofold. The first with prayer is, I want to challenge you guys, again, for the duration of the sermon series. Every, every night or morning, it's fine, to pray for 10 minutes. And I'll have you know this is not as easy as it sounds. Ten minutes, sitting, kneeling, however you'd like to do that, of, of approaching God, learning to be in his presence. Um, I've been doing this now for about three weeks, and the first week I thought I was a rock star. I was like, I'm so good at this. I'm doing like 12 minutes now. And then, and then right, pride creeps in, as you can see. And, and then and all of a sudden, you're persevering, right? <laughs> because it stopped being about me, and it started being about, God, I'm just hungry for your presence. Like, and, and so in this, we, we join the mighty cloud of witnesses, people who live by faith, who have sought God. And so when God shows up, they're not terrified. They've been anticipating him. Right? I, I think now, because we have such poor prayer habits, if God showed up, we'd be like those people. How often, when someone's like, this God thing happened to me, and we're like, okay, explain it to me, because I'll probably explain it another way. Right? Because we don't really expect God to show up. But when we read the Bible, He is. And He's showing up to people who are, are seeking His face. And can we do that together? So, so together, what are we doing? We're worshiping together. We're reminding each other daily about that. Praying 10 minutes a day, just praying for that. And I challenge you guys on Fridays. I'm adding a lot here on your plate. I know. And, and if you want to take a couple, that's fine. But, but hey, dive in, you know. Let's go for it. Um, on Fridays, to, to fast until dinner. And what does this mean? What does this mean to do as a church? And this means literally, just the simple of it is, God, we hunger for you more than we hunger for anything else. And if you're like me, there's probably some days that you like just miss eating all the way till dinner anyway. But when you fast, it hits 8 o'clock in the morning and you're like, I am dying. Right? And then you endure the whole day going, literally, like, do, do I hunger for God more than I hunger for anything else? 
Do I? When you get on your knees and you pray for your 10 minutes each night, you'll be going, do I really seek God? Can we do this as a church together? Can we do this as a church together? I'm going to end by reading Hebrews 12. And starting with these cloud experiences, this is the perfect way to finish. It says, you have not come to a mountain. This is starting in verse 18. And if it helps you to visualize, you can close your eyes. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched, and that is burning with fire, to darkness and gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking in words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them, because they could not bear what was commanded. Even if an animal touches the mountain, it will be stoned. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to the, city of, to the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, to the sprinkler of blood that speaks a better word than of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, creative things, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Hold on to these last two verses. It says, Therefore, since we have received a kingdom, a kingdom that is within you, since we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. See, God didn't stop being a consuming fire. The God that descended on Mount Horeb, people were terrified by God, descended upon Solomon's temple. God never stopped being a consuming fire. So my challenge to us is that we build our lives upon something that can't be shaken. So when God comes, because our God is a consuming fire, when he comes, that we are worshiping him, we are celebrating him with reverence and awe. Because if we are not, we will find that our foundation, our foundation will be something that we're standing on and we are terrified. So let's worship. So I encourage you guys, let's do this together in the next couple of weeks. Pray with me. God, we can, we can hear, we can be inspired, but I ask that these truths will be Embedded on our hearts. It's like the story I shared at the beginning, like, like if you descended and, and, and nothing else seemed to matter. God, I pray that these truths will be so before us in such a way that, that you matter more to us than anything else. May we be a people that just wait upon you in prayer and love you and pursue you with our whole heart. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.